We'll pray and then we'll get started. Father, thank you for all that you've done for us today. You've been so good to us already today. Thank you, Lord, for this congregation, this church, this foundation that you have begun and started it in Tuscaloosa County. And to, to be a light to the world, to be a light to all of Alabama, in all the southeastern United States. We thank you, Lord, for the promises and we put you in remembrance of them, what you've spoken over Alabama. The, of, of the, that the, the spiritual explosion that would be here in this state, the move of God that would be even uh, led forth and a forerunner in this state, and that people would come from all over to see what God is doing in Alabama. And for Lord, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we pray and believe that we fall behind in no good thing, that we don't lack for anything, that we are not left behind in anything that you would do in the earth or even especially in Alabama. And Father, we just believe you that you cause this church to be at the right place at the right time to have the revelation that we need. And Father, that we would um, keep pace with the Holy Ghost. We would keep pace in the name of Jesus. That we would not uh, be distracted and, and pulled aside in order to lose our position and that we would keep pace with the Holy Ghost. Every person in here would keep pace with the, the Spirit of God in this church. And we thank you for it, Lord. We just give you glory. Thank you for utterance in the Holy Ghost. Thank you for giving us what we need to hear tonight, what we need to know. Thank you, Father, that your word does not return void, accomplishes that which you've sent it to accomplish. We give you praise and thank you for that incorruptible seed that forever changes our lives as we as we feed on your word tonight in Jesus name. Amen. Praise God. Uh, the first thing I want to remind you of that we, uh, that God wants you to know is that he's not hard to please. You know, we uh, talked about that somewhat this morning, how God has gotten a bad reputation, hadn't he? That, you know, we've, we, that, that he's an angry God. That he's, uh, that he's uh, about half mad at all of us all the time. You know what I'm saying? And that, he is, uh, that he's a vengeful God. And that he's out to, to, to get us, to stop us, to always trying to, to keep us in line by hardness and uh, punishing us. And, and wouldn't you say that overall that religion has portrayed God as something sort of like that? And also in that portrayal has made us think that God was hard to please. But I told you and I remind you of this, that if, we, if a woman was to come to my office and have a, uh, uh, she was to come in for counseling and she was to say to me, Miss Debbie, my husband is hard to please. He's just nearly impossible to please. In fact, he's so mysterious, you just never know what's going to please him and what's not going to please him. Because you know, most people say the Lord works in mysterious ways. You know, so, and, and, and you know, I would tell her, your husband has a character problem. That is poor character. That is bad character for a husband to be like that with his wife and children. And yet we give God that reputation that he's hard to please. We give him the, a, 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 a reputation of having poor character. Because being hard to please would be a negative character trait, not a positive one. Amen? And so uh, God's not like that. God's a, a kind God. Everything in the New Testament that He asks us to be, that's what He is. You know what I'm saying? He said, be, kind, be ye kind one to another. Well, guess what He is? 
He's always asking us to be Christ-like. He's never asking us, now y'all be better than I am. <laughs> he, you know, in the New Testament, he says, turn the other cheek. That must mean God turns the other cheek. Amen? Isn't that right? Hallelujah. He says, he tells us to be quick to forgive. That must mean he's quick to forgive. He, he even tells us in 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, in the, I believe it's in the Living Bible, it says, hardly even notice when others do it wrong. That must mean instead of being hard to please, that he hardly even notices when we mess up. He hardly even notices when we do it wrong. Amen? Praise God. Hallelujah. See, because God wouldn't ask us to do something He's not doing. That He's not already doing. You know, it's wrong for a daddy to ask the son to do something he doesn't do. It's wrong for mama to ask the daughter to do something I don't do. You know, to say, well, and you know, this used to be a saying back in the olden days when I grew up, do as, do as I say, not as I do. You know, just puffing on their cigarettes. Do as I say, not as I do. Don't you dare smoke. <laughs> How many of you figured out that don't work usually? Uh, it's a miracle I wasn't a smoker. It was my grandmother's prayers is what it was because I grew up with two smokers and, and didn't know we stunk like everything, but we did. <laughs> Hallelujah. Well, we did. Hallelujah. I never even knew it. You know, I grew up in it. Well, that was back in the, you remember in the 50s and 60s, you look at those old movies. I saw an old movie I was just flicking through the other day, and the doctor, while he was diagnosing the kid in the doctor's office, was smoking on a cigarette. I'm like, boy, that was, that was, well, talk about the devil. Talk about a deception of the devil. Remember, they used to say that doctors would say it was healthy. Hallelujah. Well, anyway, praise God. But it's wrong to say to your kids, don't do as I don't, you know, don't do. No, our kids are supposed to be able to model after us. Follow me as I follow Christ. And no, that doesn't mean that we'll always be perfect, but, you know, we're, we're setting a standard. We're setting a standard. Amen? Praise God. And, you know, they don't always do as good as following as we want to sometimes, but we ought to be setting a standard. They always have a model to come back to. Amen? Praise God. Well, God is our model. Jesus was our model. Jesus was our example. And so God's not going to ever ask us to do something that He's not already doing. And so God can't be hard to please because He wouldn't want us to be hard to please. So hallelujah. How many of you know that's good news that you don't serve a God that's hard to please? Amen? Hallelujah. So you're not always falling short all the time. And we've been, oh, we've been hammered in, the, in uh, Christian circles uh, for all of sin and falling short of the glory of God. You sure did. That's why you had to get saved. But once you got saved, you don't fall short of the glory of God anymore. You're full of the glory of God. You're not falling short, and God's not disappointed in you. In fact, the Bible says that Jesus, you know, because He walked this earth as a man, that He understands our weakness. He knows what it's like. Hallelujah. Praise God. So you're not always disappointing God. And we talked about that this morning too, that God's not surprised either, you know. God isn't surprised at us. Hallelujah. And how many of you know God knows just how to fix it? He knows just what we need. When we even don't know what we need, He knows what we need. Isn't that true? Turn with me to Colossians chapter 1, verse 10. Uh, just about pleasing God tonight. Amen. Praise God. 
Now, um, <clears throat> we got set free from the law. How many of you remember that that happened? Praise God. So we don't have a, a long list. We have to give you about a 20-volume set of what to do and what not to do so you could please God. Aren't y'all glad we don't have to have a 20-volume set at our house of what to do and what not to do? In fact, we have something better. We have something written on our heart. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us, and He guides us, and He gives us little checks when we're not supposed to do something. Amen? And then He gives us, uh, you know, we have peace when, we are, when we're okay. Uh, and so Colossians 1.10 gives us a big clue to what it takes to please God for the new covenant man. In Colossians 1.10 it says, That ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. All pleasing. I like to be all pleasing to Him, don't you? And being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So He gives us two things there that causes us to be pleasing to Him. And one of them is being fruitful. Being fruitful. In other words, being fruitful means being full of fruit. It means to bear fruit. If we're not bearing fruit, we're really not pleasing Him. We're pleasing to Him in the sense that we're a blood-bought child of God. But we're not pleasing to Him in the way we're living our lives. Do you know what I'm saying? What we're doing with our time, what we're doing with our lives. He doesn't want us to live wasted lives. He doesn't want this short time, and it's a very short time if you look at eternity. Even if you live a long life, it's very short. He doesn't want it to be wasted. Amen? And so He wants us to bear fruit. He wants us to be full of fruit, full of fruitfulness. He wants us to bear much fruit. Amen? And so our constant goal, our constant mission as we are here on the earth, and everything we do should have to do with bearing fruit. Amen? And, and we, should, we should take regular inventory of our lives and make sure the things that we're doing are bearing fruit. And, you know, in the things that, things that aren't, we lop them off. We get rid of those things. If we're working with our children, we need to make sure what we're doing and what we're working with our children is this bearing fruit in their lives. Or am I getting a negative fruit from this? If I'm getting a negative fruit, I might ought to change something. Y'all think so? Hallelujah. If every time you go to Walmart, your kid pitches a hissy fit, you might ought to change something because that's not good fruit. And Miss Debbie don't like to be in Walmart with you if your kid acts like that. No, I don't like to go to Walmart and listen to all the kids scream. What is it about that store that makes them cry? Hallelujah. Makes grown men cry too, I tell you. Makes pastor cry when I take him to Walmart. Hey, huh? Makes me cry too. Made me. I tell you, I nearly got into it with a man in Walmart one day. I've been staying out of there ever since. <laughs> Hallelujah. Glory to God. Uh, verse two, uh, the second part of that verse says, it says, uh, increasing in the knowledge of God. Increasing in the knowledge of God. If we're going to please, be pleasing Him, if you want to just summarize what that means, it means growing. You know, you don't get to say, well, I'll grow for a few years. I'll grow. You know, I hope those kids back there in Children's Church, they're really growing in the Lord. No, we're supposed to be growing in here. They're supposed to be growing but we're supposed to be growing in here, growing up spiritually, growing. To thrive, growing means to develop, to thrive as a living thing. You're a living thing. You ought to be growing. You ought to be thriving. When living things quit growing, guess what? They're dying, aren't they? 
Amen. To increase in size and quantity. To increase in size and quantity. You ought to be increasing in size and quantity spiritually. Increasing. And we do need to do. Give us ourselves a little checkup. And if you re re realize that in the last couple of months, I really hadn't been growing. Maybe you realize, you know, I hadn't grown in five years. Really to say, you know, I've t taken new ground. You know, when we first got baptized in the Holy Spirit in 1980, we grew by leaps and bounds. We were growing so fast. Amen. Well, we ought to keep growing. Now, of course, we'll have seasons where we grow faster than others, but we ought to be growing. All some growth's harder to do. I mean, some growth takes more time. Y'all know what I'm saying? So we can't always be growing to the rate that, I mean, I'm telling you, we were growing. I'm telling you, because we'd had, we got food for the first time. So, you know, we started getting fed for the first time. And so, because I, I tell you, I got saved when I was 10 years old, and I did not grow until I got baptized in the Holy Ghost. Because all I heard was salvation. And I already saved, so, and you know, so... Only two, there's only two things to do after you get saved and that they preach, and that's get re-saved or get, or, or uh, what do they call it, uh, rededicate your life. And we were always getting re-saved or rededicating. Because we wanted more and we was hungry for more, and, so we, and, and we knew we didn't have more, so we'd rededicate, trying to get more. Every time we had a revival, twice a year, everybody rededicated. I hadn't had to rededicate since, Kevin. Hallelujah. I got dedicated when I was uh, baptized in the Holy Ghost. Hadn't had to rededicate. Just stay dedicated every day. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You have to be Baptist to understand that conversation. Hallelujah. Well, if you're Pentecostal, you understand about getting re-saved. Because if you sinned last week, you need to get re-saved. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Oh, I was going to read y'all something. Hallelujah. Praise God. And it was so, maybe I can do that next week. Anyway, um, so, uh, so growing and being fruitful and growing. I'm going to read this to you, Colossians 1.10 from the Amplified, just to remind you. Thank you, Jesus. How many of you want to grow? I do. I don't like being the same. I don't like being the same. I, I mean, I like me, and I like, and I don't, I don't have a bad self-image, but I don't like me well enough to want to stay just like I am. I want to change. I want to grow. I, want, I just have this model, it's called Jesus Christ, that I want to be more like. He put a desire in me to be more like Him. He put a desire in me to know more about prayer. I feel like I just scratched the surface on what I know about prayer, and I want to grow in prayer. Amen? I, I don't feel like I know everything there is to know about uh, uh, winning the lost. Or, uh, Amen. And oh, I tell you, such a sweet prophecy from Lynn Hammond the other day. And it said, and I believe this, now you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, but there's another realm even after that. See, a lot of people think once they get the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they just part. Well, praise God, we got saved, now we got baptized in the Holy Ghost, we can just part. No, there's another realm after that. There's another realm, and we can grow and step over into those places. We can go places in the Spirit we have never been before. How many of you want to go with me? Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. 
How many of you, oh, I love the Spirit, don't you? I love the move of the Spirit. Colossians 1.10 in the Amplified, you can just listen if you want to. That you may walk, live, and conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him and desiring to please Him in all things, bearing fruit in every good work and steadily growing and increasing in and by the knowledge of God with fuller, deeper, and clearer insight, acquaintance, and recognition. How many of you would like to have fuller and deeper and clearer insight? How many of you just like to see the things of God more clearly? Wouldn't that be nice to just see things more clearly? You know, Paul said we see through a glass darkly, but you know what? That, that glass can get lighter and lighter. It don't always have to be as dark as it was. I know it's not as dark for me as it used to be. But it could get lighter yet. Amen? Praise God. Um, and in the message translation, we'll read it there too. Praise God. I can find Colossians 1.10. Uh, it's kind of... We pray that you will live well for the Master, making Him proud of you as you work hard in His orchard. As you learn more and more how God works, you will learn how to do your work. We pray that you'll have the strength to stick it out over the long haul. Not the grim strength of gritting your teeth, but the glory strength God gives. It is strength that endures, the unendurable, and spills over into joy. Thanking the Father who makes us strong enough to take part in everything bright and beautiful that He has for us. Praise God. Hallelujah. Turn to 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 4, verse 1. 1 Thessalonians 4, 1. Pleasing God. 1 Thessalonians 4.1. Are you there? Furthermore, yeah, it was just a couple pages over, wasn't it? Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. Have you ever noticed it's a circle? It's a circle. See, it. you know, we... Uh, we uh, we walk as we ought to walk and we please God. He causes us to abound. Which causes us to walk more as we ought to walk. Which causes us to abound and bear fruit and grow. Which causes us to walk more and more as we ought to walk. And, and so we're just constantly in this circle. Hallelujah. Everything we do always leads to more of the other. Amen. Every time, you, every time you walk as you ought to walk, you abound more and more. And every time you abound more and more, it makes you have to walk as you ought to walk. <laughs> Hallelujah. And then you'll abound more and more. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, we're just going from faith to faith, to glory to glory, from faith to faith, to glory to glory, from faith to faith, to glory to... See, it's a circle. Amen. The whole thing is a circle. Last week, I'm just going to review a minute some of the scriptures we went over. You may want to jot them down if you weren't here. In Romans 8, 8, we found out that the, that the unsaved cannot ever please God. That until a man or woman gets saved, born again, they are not pleasing to God. Isn't that sad? Sometimes some of the best people. I mean, I'm not mad at God about it. I don't mean it's sad. It's just sad when people are ignorant of what it takes. And they're working hard at, at, you know, the Jews are working hard at it, many of them, um, and not pleasing God. I'm reading a book called The Complete Idiot's Guide to Jewish History and Culture. No reflection. I, I mean, I'm renouncing that first part every time I read it, but hallelujah. <laughs> but they do put so much effort into pleasing God, and they're not pleasing to God because they're not born again. 
takes being born again to be pleasing to God. Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't love the Jews. They're not His people. They are His people. And He has a divine plan that He's laid out in the Word that He's going to work in them. But until they're born again, it doesn't please God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Colossians 3.20, we found out that children have to be obedient to their parents in order to be pleasing to God. And as parents, we are responsible to make them be obedient because if they're not being obedient, they're not pleasing to God. How many of you want the blessings of God on your children's lives? Then they have to be pleasing to Him and He will bless them. So we have to make them be pleasing. We're responsible as parents. To make them obey us. Amen. Colossians, uh, 1 Thessalonians 2, 4 uh, tells us to aim to please God and not men. That we are to aim to please God and not men. We got to put the little tester. You know, we've been talking about putting the tester up there. When we make decisions, we got to make decisions. We got to put our little tester up and say, now... Am I pleasing man or God here? And the Bible teaches us in Proverbs 16, 7 that if a man's ways please God, that he'll make even his enemies to be at peace with him. So we, make, we please God and we don't worry about man. You know, when you walk pleasing to God, how many of you know it's, it's going to be short of an antichrist spirit operating. If you walk pleasing to God, your boss is going to love you. Because if you're the kind of worker at work that's working in order to please God, doing everything that they do heartily as unto the Lord, how many of you know your boss is going to be in love with you unless there's an antichrist spirit operating there? And sometimes there's an antichrist spirit operating there and there's persecution and, and, and they may not even know why. Sometimes people are so sloppy at the job that if you do good, they persecute you because you're, you're, you're the... I've seen that happen. They are so sloppy that you get persecuted because you do right. But if, your man, but if the man's ways please God, if a man's ways please God, even his enemies that don't want to be at peace with him will end up being at peace with him. Amen? So we got to make pleasing God our goal. Galatians 1.10 on that. I want to give you another scripture for that. For do I now persuade men or God? Paul says, do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. You know, you cannot do both. Many times there is a conflict that if, you are, if you're going to really please all men in this world, you're not going to be very pleasing to God. Amen? If you're going to please your friends, you won't be pleasing to God. If you even try to please your wife, you're not going to be pleasing to God. If you try to please your husband, you're not going to be pleasing to God. I mean, if that's your goal, our goal has to be to be pleasing to God, and then He takes care of the men. And you know what? There's been, and sometimes it's a, there's a great cost to that. I'm not going to tell you there's not a cost. I know Norval Hayes, it cost him his wife, and Ed Dufresne, it cost him a wife to be pleasing to God. Well, God gave them another one, but that was, you know, a lot of times people, folks, people marry wrong. People marry wrong. Like one guy on TV said, they marry Mr. Right now instead of Mr. Right. You don't want Mr. Right now, you want Mr. Right. 
Right? You, you see what I mean? And a lot of times you can marry wrong. It can mess the call of God up on your life. I could name you ministers right now that I go, boy, they'd be a great minister if they just didn't have such a sorry wife. I mean, not sorry in the sense of a person, but I'm talking about just not, not right where it comes to the ministry and spiritual things. I could name them. People you would know, and I'm going, their wife's not right. That's why. Pastor got the right wife. Well, I'm telling you, he's got the wife. I, I want to tell you, y'all could have hit the first one. The one he dated for me was Church of Christ. The one he dated in college was an atheist. Hallelujah. He got the right wife. How would you like that? be a pastor of a church and your wife's an atheist? <laughs> Hallelujah. He got the right one, baby. I tell him all the time, you got the right wife. I'm telling you, when you get the right wife, she not only, she not only helps your ministry, she, you'll go further than you would have if you didn't have her. And I'm, I know I'm further than I would have been if I didn't have him, and he's further than he'd have been if he didn't have me. Praise God. Hallelujah. You've got to get the right one. And sometimes people just marry wrong. Sometimes they do because they're just not thinking when they're looking. And sometimes they do because they weren't even saved when they were looking. And then they get saved and they got a problem and they have to really trust God in that. First John 3.22. Well, you don't have to turn there. We did that one last week. I'll just remind you. We know we are pleasing to God. When, when we know we are pleasing to God, we have confidence in prayer. He said, uh, this is the confidence that we have in Him. That if we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight, we know He hears us. We know He answers our prayer. When you know you're pleasing to God, you're going to have confidence in prayer. And if you don't have confidence in prayer, first of all, you need to check up on if you are pleasing Him. And if you don't have confidence in prayer and you decide that you really are doing those things that please Him, then you need to tell the devil to take a hike, you know. Because sometimes we can be laboring under a guilt and a condemnation that God never intended us to be there. Hallelujah. And it's undermining our prayer life. One thing about it, family, in this day, you need to be strong in prayer. You might could have got by with it and leave it to beaver days. In the 50s, it didn't really matter if June and Ward were strong in prayer. But I'm telling you, if you aren't strong in prayer in this day, you won't, you, won't, you won't make it. You'll lose something precious to you. You'll lose something valuable to you. You'll, lose, you'll walk under the curse in some ways you don't want to walk. We've got to be strong in prayer. We've got to be constantly on the offense where prayer is concerned. Not, I tell you, we don't need to be, be defensive prayers where we're trying to clean up the mess all the time that the devil's made in our lives. Try, we need to be offense, out there on the offense. How many of you know you can't score on, except with the offense? Or can you? Might be wrong about that. <laughs> you can? You can score? Mm. It's harder though, isn't it? Isn't it better the other way? Okay. Forget me. I don't ever, Miss Debbie, don't ever use football examples. You don't, you don't know enough. <laughs> Hebrews 13, 16, we talked about last week. Giving pleases God. And I don't want to turn there. Hebrews 13, 16. I don't know if you know how much your giving pleases God. Some people don't realize how much their giving is pleasing to God. Hebrews 13, 16, especially giving that's done in faith. Uh, but to do good and to communicate, forget not. 
Therefore, with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. I want you to know that God is pleased with sacrificial giving. God is pleased with sacrificial giving. He's pleased when you are in faith and trust Him enough to give sacrificially. When you give sacrificially, unless you just kind of got a warped uh, concept of that, you're saying, Lord, I trust you. I just completely trust you. I, I'm not being led nor, by, around by fear. I'm not letting the devil uh, lead me around with a nose ring with uh, concerning circumstances, but I, I, I trust you, Father. And so God's pleased with that. In Isaiah 56, 4, we found out that God admonishes us to choose the things that please God. You know, we, every day we're faced with choices. And you know, this is real easy, folks. Choose what pleases God. This is a no-brainer most of the time. Now, you know, there are times when it takes a little more research or a little more prayer to figure out, okay, which one of these is pleasing to God. There are times when we are faced with, with decisions. But many times, most of the time, I'd say, you know, 95% of the time, it's a no-brainer. Which one's pleasing to God? Choose the one that's pleasing to God, and you'll always come out right. It'll always turn out right. If you'll choose the one, if you'll always make it your heart to choose the one that's pleasing to God, and you choose, okay, I'm choosing this one because it's pleasing to God. Even if it wasn't the one that was pleasing to God, praise God, He just honors your heart and those kind of things. But when we make choices that aren't pleasing to God, and we've all done it, hallelujah, but I'm determining, I'm, not, I'm choosing what pleases God. I'm choosing what pleases God. You know, we can choose what pleases the flesh, but it doesn't feel good for long feels good for a minute, but it doesn't feel good for long. And then it begins to a Christian can't enjoy choosing the flesh. I don't know about you, but I can't enjoy it. I might enjoy it for a minute, but then all of a sudden, I'm, my heart convicts me. Guess what? I go to prayer. I don't have confidence towards God because I know that I didn't choose. And I don't like coming to prayer and not having confidence toward God. And really what I have to do when I do that is I have to start over. And I have to go through, okay, Father, I ask you to forgive me. I, I, I ask, you know, and, and He does. But still, I have to go through this process of getting back to that place where I'm confident, where I'm bold again in prayer. I'm going through, and I get tired of going through that little process all the time. Then He's glad to forgive me. But I'd rather just be confident all the time. Confidence towards God. I have confidence towards God because I know I choose those things that please Him. I know that I'm doing His commandments. Not just the Ten Commandments, but I'm doing the, I'm doing, I'm doing the whole Word commandments. The Ten Commandments is just the start. Amen. I know I'm, you know, I can't be, I, 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 in order to have that confidence towards God, I know I've got to be doing what He's called me to do. The Ten Commandments are not enough. I've got to be fulfilling my destiny. And I got sometimes, you know, I, I know like you, I wrestle. One of my destinies is prayer. That's a call on my life. And I embrace it now, but I ran the first time God said it to me. Oh, God, I ran. I scared me. I was in a church service in Odessa, Texas, and the pastor stood me up and said, called his own staff intercessor to come over and lay hands on me. Because of a call to prayer on my life. Oh, I'd rather him told me he has called to go to Mongolia. I was that scared of prayer. Some of you are that way. Oh, I tell you, I'm so delighted now. I don't know how he changed my heart, but how many of you know he has a way of doing that? I don't know what he did to change my heart, but I love to pray. That's part of my destiny. Well, I wrestle with that because other duties try to call me. 
other things that aren't near as important. I know they're not as important. I know they're not my destiny. Hallelujah. But I want to please Him. I want to do those things that please Him. Choose those things that please Him. John 8, 29. Jesus, our example. He said, I do always those things that please Him. I want to not tell you something. Let me tell you something I might not have said last week. I know I didn't say this last week. Jesus did all those things that please Him as a man. He didn't do them as the Son of God. So therefore, we have to follow His example and us do only those things that please Him. Because He didn't do it as deity. He did it as a man. He did it as His natural man. So that means not only can we do it, but we're responsible to do only those things that please Him. Amen. Well, one thing is He didn't have a sin nature. But guess what? You don't either anymore. You don't either. Amen. Now let's turn to, I don't think we did this one last week, Romans 15, 1 and 2. Praise God. We took all that time just to get to even. But you learned some things. Praise God. I know God's birthing in us, in this church, even as we preach this, a desire to be pleasing to Him. A desire to be pleasing to Him and to realize that He's not hard to please. He wants us to bear fruit. He wants us to grow. These things, if you really get down to it, everything we've listed here are encompassed in bearing fruit and growing. Amen. How many of you believe you could bear fruit and not, do those, not choose those things that are pleasing to Him? You couldn't, could you? You couldn't, could you? Everybody wake, everybody say, I'm awake. I'm awake. Do I need to have y'all stand up and turn around? Did y'all take a nap this afternoon? I did. Hallelujah. I slumbered in my sleep. <laughs> like your mama used to tell you that. Did your mamas tell you all that? And, and you argued with them? No, I didn't. No, I didn't. You don't remember that? Mm. That must be unique. <sighs> Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, and you have garments on your back? Your mama didn't tell you you got garments on your back. And, then, you know, little kids always say, No, I don't, I do not. <laughs> we had a really very clever family. My family was very clever. Now, Romans 15, 1 and 2. <laughs> oh, praise God. <clears throat> we then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. Praise God. We're, gonna, we're, not, we're, not, we're not here on this earth to please self. We're not here on this earth to please self. The more you go after pleasing self, the more unhappy you're going to be. Now, this is opposite of what... If you went to a psychologist or a psychiatrist today, they'd tell you, you need to take care of old number one. That's what they tell you. But the Bible teaches us to not tr try to please ourselves, but to, that it, what's going to make us happy is to please others. To be a pleasing to God, first of all, and to be pleasing to others. Be a blessing. Be a blessing to others. Not to put number one first. Glory to God. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 32. Just look at some things that are pleasing to God. Now, that, that it's not pleasing to God for us to be a martyr, but praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Martyrs are...
not, not, not the way to go, but we don't put ourselves first on the throne. 1 Corinthians seven thirty two. But I would have you without carefulness. He, you know, everybody says be careful. He said, I'd have you without carefulness. Quit being so careful. He that is unmarried careth for the things that belong to the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he that is married careth for the things that are of the world, how he may please his wife. There is difference also between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman careth for the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But she that is married careth for the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And this I speak for your own profit, not that I may cast a snare upon you, but for that and that ye may attend upon the Lord without distraction. Praise God. I'm going to see how far I'm supposed to read. Through 35. That was right. Um, what he's saying here is uh, God wants us to uh, give him our undivided, undistracted attention. And he just tells us in here about marriage and how when you're married, that's harder to do. And he goes on to say there, you know, everybody I know that's not married is wanting to get married. And Paul tells us, he said, you ought to be so happy you're not married. <laughs> I got to look there. You ought to be so happy. Uh, you ought to be so happy you're not married because guess what? You can give God your undivided attention. Amen. You can give God your undivided, undistracted attention. And that's what the, now let me tell you something. If you're unmarried, that's what you're supposed to be doing. That's how you're supposed to be spending your time, your undivided, undistracted attention. Like Anna in the New Testament. Remember, Anna was always in the temple. She was always tending to the things of God. Simeon was, you, you're just so free if you're not married. Now, we're not saying that marriage is bondage, but we are saying that when we're married, what we have to do is strive for balance all the time. We can't neglect our spouses, but at the same time, we're supposed to have God on the throne. He's supposed to have our undivided attention. And as husbands and wives, we need to encourage our wives and we need to encourage our husbands to put God first, not always demanding to be first in his life. I know I'm, I feel better when I know that, that pastor has God first. But a lot of wives are demanding. And they actually even pull their husbands away from the things of God. I've even known women, I'm sure there's none in this room, that have talked their husbands into not going to church. Pull them a different way. And sometimes just by not having the joy of themselves in going. I'm telling you, that is, you talk about a foolish woman. You talk about a woman tearing down her own house with her own hands. That woman is that, uh, we ought to, as women, we always ought to be influencing our husbands towards everything righteous. Always be in that influence. Amen. Amen. And in the same token, uh, the man shouldn't, you know, I've seen it where the man was so jealous, so demanding, so uh, wanted her to wait on him hand and foot that she didn't even have time to, to give herself to the things of God. Why, I know men that when they come in the door at 5 o'clock, they expect her to have supper on the table. Can you imagine? And, and, and expect her to serve him a glass of tea. And expect her to be waiting on him hand and foot all evening. Well, and you know, that might be okay if she doesn't have a job. I mean, I don't even really think it's that okay then. But there might be a balance there. If he works all day and he's on his feet and he's doing hard manual labor all day and she's a housewife, well, you know, 
she certainly shouldn't put herself first. But most, something, a lot of times in our day and age, what is it, like 80-something percent of all households now are two-income families. She goes to work just like he does. And, you know, hallelujah. We need to encourage our husbands and encourage our wives and, and let them have the space and the time they need to pray, to let them have the space and the time they need to put God first, to seek first the kingdom of God. And I know there could be people get out of balance. And man, he's at the church. Not in this church, you couldn't. But I know there's churches that are committee run. And you could be on every committee and you could be gone all the time and neglecting your family. We're not advising neglect the family. We're advising putting God first, seeking first the kingdom of God where all things are added unto us. So when you're married, you have to take careful attention to that. And you have to strive for balance in the marriage. Amen? Hallelujah. And when you're not married, the Bible, Paul said there don't even seek to be married. Don't worry about it. You got the gravy train. You get to seek God all the time. You don't have to ask. You don't have to say, honey, now do I need to get you anything before I go to pray? You can just pick up and put yourself in your car and put the pedal to the metal and go pray, can't you? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, there's some good teaching for you. <laughs> Praise God. So the key is this. If you're married, be balanced. If you're single, be 100% devoted to the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And you know, when you're choosing Mr. Right, take that into consideration. When, when you're making a decision on Miss Right, take that into consideration. I want to tell you something. If they, they're not going to get better after you marry them. They always go get worse. Both sides. Because why? Because when we're dating, we put the charm on. We're more charming when we're dating than we are when we live with people, aren't we? And so if he's jealous when you're dating, he's going to be a monster when you marry him. So choose wisely. 2 Timothy 2.4 2 Timothy 2.4 the, the wrong spouse can mess up your life. Even if they do all things right in the natural, they can mess up the call of God on your life. Mess up just mess your life up where you don't ever reach your potential. 2 Timothy 2.4 <clears throat> No man that warreth entangle himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who had chosen him to be a soldier. You know, here's something that pleases God. We got free this morning. Pleases God for us to stay free. Don't let the devil entangle you again. You know, sometimes we got entangled. I got entangled with fear before I knew any better. I let fear in the door. I can tell you the time it happened. It was the Saturday before Mother's Day in 1975. And we lived in a mobile home in Seagraves, Texas. And this big thunderstorm was coming out of the west. And in west Texas, when a big old cloud thunderstorm comes up, it is red, oh, because it stirs up sand ahead of it. And there was sand and dirt and the air boiling up in the west. And Pastor runs home from the farm. We didn't have any kids or anything. He runs home from the farm, pulls up in the driveway. And I said, let's get out of this mobile home. Let's get out of here. He said, I've got chemical all over me. He had been spraying cotton or something. I don't know what he'd been doing. He had chemical on him. I guess he was planting and he was putting something, some sort of chemical in the beds with the plant. He said, I got chemical all over me. So he got in the shower. That thing hit with him in the shower. We're in that mobile home. I'm telling you, I let fear get in my heart because that storm hit that mobile home so hard. Now, it didn't harm us or nothing. In fact, we ran across the... Water was just that deep. I mean, it was pouring, it was hailing, it was blowing. And so we ran across the, 
the vacant lot to our neighbor's house. She let us in. We just, her kitchen, we just <laughs> poured water all over her floor. I'm sure she loved us. But anyway, um, anyway, she let us in. And, but I let fear get in. Didn't know any better. But you know, once God set me free, I'm, not, I'm supposed to stay free. Don't go back. Don't go back into those things. I've had some opportunities to step back into that fear. Uh, you know, I got to Alabama. I never, it, it don't lighten in where we live. I, do y'all, I've always lived here. This place, it lightens. I, we moved to Trustful. The electricity was off every other day. We don't, electricity goes off about once every two years in West Texas, you know. And I mean, the electricity was off. And, and, uh, and, and you know, everybody else's fear will try to get on you. I mean, they were, that, that, that tornado day that I was in the University Mall, December 16th, man, there were some scared folks out there. You know what I'm saying? And so uh, we're supposed to stay free, though. Stay free. You cannot be entangled with bondages or you can't, and you can't be entangled with the affairs of this life and please God. We gotta stay free even from the affairs of this life. We gotta stay free where things don't have a hold of us. We gotta it, it's okay to go out and do things, but we ought to be to the point where if, if God said not tonight or don't do that for a while, we just it's okay because we're free. We aren't we aren't bound by it. I mean if God said, Joe, don't go to the Alabama football game, um, He's got a bad look on his face. <laughs> but, I mean, he's free from it. I believe he's free. I don't believe it would be he wouldn't go into some sort of, you know, three-day depression. And, and he would be fine. Be fine. That's fine, Lord. Well, if he's not that way, how's God ever going to protect him? I mean, there might be a bomb under the seat next to him. God wants him to be free so he can enjoy football, but he's free. He's not entangled with it. You know, there's people entangled with it so much that if, they, if somebody loses even some sports team on TV that they don't even, you know, they watching the Kansas City Chiefs and get go into some sort of anger and rage because they lost. Can you imagine it's that ridiculous? I mean, even we can look at that and go, that's ridiculous. But, uh, but people are bound. The people are entangled. And he's saying here, you can't please God if you're entangled with anything. It's okay to have hobbies, but they can't have us so entangled that, you know, uh, the pastor says, well, we're having prayer Saturday morning. Well, I play golf on Saturday. Well, you're entangled. If you can't say, well, this Saturday I won't. If you, can't, if you have to be there, you're entangled. And you can't please God if you're entangled. You can't please Him if you're entangled with fear. You can't please Him if you're entangled in grief. You can't please Him because, why? Because Jesus paid the price for you to be free and it's not pleasing when we walk in a place that He shed His blood in futility. And we're not walking in it. So we have to walk in it. We have to pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and say, you will. And sometimes it takes... Sometimes what it does is it takes acting on it to get free. I know in, in our homes, we can, God wants us to have things. He wants us to bless us, but He wants us to never be entangled with them and to be totally free all the time. In other words, there's not, nothing in your house, no heirloom, no anything that He couldn't say, well, just let that go and that'd be fine. Be fine. It don't, I don't, I'm not entangled with it at all. I have no, wouldn't matter. 
don't have any rings, don't have any jewelry, don't have any furniture, don't have anything. That's why well, I'm not entangled with it. I could, if, if, if he said, let's don't watch TV for a week, let's go on a TV fast. Or we're not entangled, are we? Are we entangled? Everybody say, I'm not entangled. By faith, I'm not entangled. <laughs> if you think you're entangled, you ought to take a step to get unentangled with it. If you have to watch Rick and Bubba every day, you ought to be, I mean, anything that you have to do that you just can't, you know, I got to, I got to, I got to. You're entangled. And you can't please God when you're entangled. He wants us to be free. He doesn't want anything ruling over us. He doesn't want anything having the dominion over us. If you have to have a cup of coffee every morning, you cannot live if you don't have it. You ought to get unentangled. Maybe it's a Coca-Cola. Maybe it's a Diet Coke. You know, we ought to get unentangled, shouldn't we? It ought not to change our day if we don't have coffee. One good way to do that is just to get on caffeine-free, and you'll never notice when you don't have it then. And, of course, the first three days of getting off of it, you're going to feel like, you, you come up and I'll pray for you. And my dad, like my dad said, you'll have to lean up against the wall to breathe. You'll be so tired. No, I'm not speaking that over you. <laughs> that means, well, guess what? When that's that way, guess what? We're entangled. We're entangled. When we have to have something. See, you might be called to go to Russia, and then you might not get any. Somebody said, well, that rules that out. Not going there. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I was more entangled over the ice. I was like, I got to have ice. They don't have your ice in Europe. I mean, they have it, but it's not. They don't understand what our big deal is about ice in Europe. And they just don't serve it and don't have it a lot of places. <laughs> Hallelujah. <clears throat> Thank you, Jesus. So we have to keep ourselves free. Maintain our freedom. Maintain our freedom. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. You could be entangled with a person, couldn't you? You know, a lot of times, um, <clears throat> people, you know, they come to find out if this is the man they're supposed to marry or something, but most time they're already so entangled, wouldn't matter what the pastor said. The pastor could say, this is the D-E-V-I-L in disguise, and it wouldn't matter, they's going to marry him anyway. Because why? Because they got entangled in their soul. Don't get entangled. My mama told me, and this was smart, and she wasn't even spiritual, but she said, never date a man you wouldn't be willing to marry. Because she said, here's what she said. She said, you might fall in love. And then you'd have to make a choice. And you'd just get hurt. And so I believed her, and I didn't date any. Really, when Pastor and I was broke up one time, we actually did break up one time. He was going to college, and I didn't really want to break up, but he wanted to break up. We were going to date other people. And... Uh, <laughs> So uh, this guy in my class asked me to go on a date. But I thought about that. I thought, I wouldn't want, I know your family, and I don't want to be married into your family. And Seagraves, you know, it's little enough. You knew the family. And it's like, I don't, so I just didn't date him. I just didn't go on that date. Hallelujah. So uh, we had a Baptist, I'll tell you this, since he's not here, I just can do all sorts of stuff. <laughs> we had a Baptist youth director that summer, and he said, and I guess he could tell I was in love. And he said, Debbie, if you want him, I'll tell you how to get him. He did. This is the Baptist youth director. It's the best thing I ever learned at the Baptist church after getting saved. 
And he said, so he told me how to get him. And, so, and we've been married 30, well, how long? 30 years this year. In August, we'll be married 30 years. And uh, I've never told him what that Baptist youth director says, and it just drives him wild that I won't tell him. But I did what that Baptist youth director told me to do, and in two weeks, I had him. Amen. Hallelujah. But I'll tell you if you need to know. <laughs> if you if if you're supposed to have him and you want him and he's missed and I think he's Mr. Right, I'll tell you. If it'll help. <laughs> Hebrews eleven six. And and it's so it's so funny. I like to agitate him about it. About Ralph. His name was Ralph, and I say, Well, you know Ralph. <laughs> Ralph told me how to get you. <laughs> Hebrews eleven six, thank you Lord, and it works. I'm telling you, uh, Chris did it to Colin, and she didn't even know, and it he it it just it sucked him right in. <laughs> it, she didn't I didn't even tell her that I didn't know her, but she really worked the same principle, and it sucked him up like a vacuum cleaner. <laughs> And I mean, there was, and I really thought Colin was a little too young to get married. You know, she was older than him. But I'm telling you, there, I couldn't have said nothing. Because she worked this little principle. And she had him. <clears throat> Hebrews 11, 6. She had, you have to make sure you want him after you catch him, though, now. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Without faith, we can't please him. We have to just keep ourselves in a checkup all the time. Am I in faith? Because I'm not pleasing to God in this area if I'm not in faith about it. Praise God. God, stay in faith, don't we? You know, uh, one, we preached this sermon one time. I'll preach it again. Uh, it has been a long time, but uh, you can have faith and not be in faith. There's a difference. You can have faith about healing and not be in faith about your particular situation. And you won't get anything just having faith. You have to be in faith. You can have faith that God wants to prosper you. It'd be impossible to be in this church and listen to the Word of God and not have faith, but it'd be very possible to have faith and not be in faith. Amen? So give yourself that little checkup. You know, the Bible even says that for us to test ourselves to see if we be in faith. Because see, if we're not in faith, we're getting nowhere. We're not making progress. We're not growing. We're not bearing fruit. So we need to give ourselves a checkup, make some adjustments. Many times just a little minor adjustment in our attitude to get in faith. Sometimes it's a renewing of the mind. Got to change something about what we believe and how we believe. Got to get more information. Amen. Well, hallelujah. We're going to talk maybe next week, Lord willing. My grandmother said, Lord willing, the creek don't rise. Hallelujah. I used to say, she used to call me and say, uh, I'm going to come see y'all next week, Lord willing. I said, Granny, he is. Quit saying that. <laughs> He's willing. You know, Lord willing. So, Lord willing, we're going to preach next, no, next Sunday night we're having fellowship. Can't do that. Is that next Sunday night? Yeah, first Sunday in June. Well, Lord willing, someday we're going to talk about some things that, <laughs> that don't please God, that displease Him. Amen. Let's stand up together. We had a good time, didn't we?